1: It is Pastured Pig Podcast time again. As Kelly mentioned, I'm your host Troy. So glad you all joined us for another episode. Um, updates here on the farm. It's kind of depressing to say that. Um, I was even reluctant to to point this out because it just continues to show failure. <laughs> but um, one of my two sows that we had bred, she did not settle after all. I kept my fingers crossed. Um, her second heat cycle or next time coming into heat she had just a little bit of swelling but it wasn't a full stand the next 21 days a little bit more than this last 21 days just a very distinct stand so bummed about that of course Um, but I do have my other Sal Merida she is uh, she's got the big belly and she seems to be doing okay now so instead of having two Farrow Uh, end of november looks like we're going to just have one keep our fingers crossed that that happens as well Uh, so we'll see how that goes i don't like farrowing this late in the year but um, our whole schedule's been thrown off but is what it is i'm going to go ahead and jump right into our interview with marissa fortin from spring hill heritage farm and i'll catch you on the backside. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, I've got a really another good, exciting guest. I know all my guests are excited. I guess we, since we raise pigs, we we stay excited all the time. Uh, but I'm happy to say I've got Marissa Fortin uh, on our podcast tonight. She was she's with Spring Hill Heritage Farm in Wisconsin. So, uh, welcome, Marissa. Thank you. All right. So um, Wisconsin. So uh, how's the weather up there?
2: You know, it's still kind of warm. We're waiting for winter to set in. It's usually a little bit colder right about now, but we've been really lucky to get a little more of a warm snap, and I'm not complaining.
1: Yeah, take take it while you can, right? <laughs> exactly. So in that part of the country, are you dealing with uh, excessive rains, excessive drought, or are you in the middle there?
2: We're really in the middle. I mean, we certainly have episodes of rain after rain after rain, but nothing like other parts of the country. And the same thing with droughts. Occasionally, we'll get dry spells, but it's not like the droughts you see out west. We're in a pretty, um, we're in a good grazing environment, except for that whole winter thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. It's been uh, it's been a weird year, I think, across the country. Everyone I've talked to, and, and here in West Virginia, we just today broke a 7 week no rain event so which is unusual for us cuz we stay pretty wet all the time and so yes everybody was happy my pigs were dancing for joy in the rain today
2: oh i bet my pigs love the rain
1: yeah all right well let's uh, uh tell me a little bit about spring hill heritage farm what what do you guys got going on there
2: well we are farmers in our second year of farming We're a sixth-generation farm. My ancestors, my great-great-great-grandparents, along with my great-great-grandparents, came here from Norway back in 1883. And we've been farming ever since. It was dairy, up until my father. And we stopped dairy farming in 1995, didn't farm for a long time. And then as adults, my husband and I decided that we wanted to leave the city, come back home, take over the farm, and make a go of it. And pigs weren't the original plan. Um, We thought maybe we would get them eventually, but it kind of worked out. And as it turns out, we love being pig farmers. So we're both, um, you know, old and experienced in farming just for the fact that we had always been exposed to it. And my family in particular had always been a part of farming. But um, our actual operation is really just in our second year.
1: Okay. So you're saying the dairy operation, did you say it ceased around 95 and, and then, of course, you all have been there for about two years. So did the farm lay fallow for that long, or did your dad keep, keep it up, or how did, how did that work um, out?
2: Well, my dad, my father died in 1995, so that oh. was why we stopped dairying. And my mom hung on to the land. Um, she did rent it to a dairy farmer for a few years who would graze his cattle. Um, but, of course, that was still in the late 90s. And then most of the property was also rented out to a crop farmer, and we still rent out some acreage. And then my stepdad had some beef cattle on it. He didn't rotationally graze, but they were out on pasture the vast majority of the time. So there's been some um, livestock on the land, but nothing significant. And there are some fields that have just either been fallow for 20 plus years, or we've gotten a few hay crops, and that's really it.
1: Hmm. Okay, yeah. So uh, the, the size of the farm that you all are are, are you are you all farming the entire um, property right now, or are you just staying in, in a specific area?
2: Just a specific area. We have eighty acres, hmm. and we've only used a small portion so far to raise our pigs and our chickens. Hmm. Um, as we grow, we want to, you know, expand our footprint. And long term, we do want to move um, from the cropping land to livestock rotation. Yeah. Okay. Very good
1: yeah that gives you plenty of uh room to expand as you as you need to i assume uh certain areas you guys are still renting out so there's uh there's some uh, uh tax offsetting there some the revenue coming in
2: yeah it's it's really a good way to grow because we're we're doing the slow growth plan yeah very
1: good okay so um so you say you're in your second year of farming and uh Sixth generation farmer, uh, so, so you obviously have the pedigree, you have the background there, uh, but you mentioned you came back from the city, so uh, was your husband, and does he have a farming background, or was this something you had to convince
2: him to do? Well, he has more of a country background, and he had been exposed to farms, but his family is not full of farmers. Um, so this was all my idea, um, I can't take, so he he always says that he can't take the blame or the credit. <laughs> And, I, you know, he wouldn't have been a farmer if it hadn't been for me. Um, it was certainly my idea. But once we started doing it, he really enjoys it. Very good.
1: All right. So uh, is he from that area as well?
2: He is. We met in high school. All right. There you go. Yeah. Yes.
1: I like high school sweethearts. My wife and I are high school sweethearts. Oh, lovely. Yes. Okay. So... Um, so you're. Uh, I was looking at your website. You all don't just raise pigs. You're a polyculture. Uh, what else you have going on there?
2: We have laying hens, and we have meat chickens, and we have peacocks. But they're. I wouldn't really call them a livestock. They're just hanging around because they're cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like some of the pictures you have on your site there. That one looks like it's. Doing, oh, thank you. Doing a heavy metal scream or something. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so uh, egg layers, uh, broilers, and of course the pigs. Um, that's that's a pretty good protein uh, lineup there.
2: It really is. We eat like kings.
1: That's right. <laughs> Never a dull breakfast. Well, um, so tell us uh, what um, what uh, tell us about your pigs. What uh, breed are you? Are you raising a specific breed? Are you are you trying to do anything specific there?
2: Nothing specific. So far. Um, last year, we started with four pigs, and I very literally picked the pigs because I could get them. And really, the same thing happened this year. Uh, last year, we did have one duroc, and then the other were just plain white pigs. And this year, all of our pigs were just plain white pigs. There aren't that many people in the area who raise um, wieners. So we were just kind of thinking, well, you know. Good is better than perfect and non-existent. So we're very much interested in eventually getting into different breeds, but we're really not there yet. So at this point, we were able to find a farmer who raises pigs about a 20-minute drive away. So we were able to buy some young ones from him and raise them.
1: Okay. So how, how many did you start with last year, you said?
2: Four? Last year we did four, okay. and then this year we jumped to 12.
1: Okay, so uh, let's back up. What was that conversation like uh, last year when, uh, I assume you probably had some chicken experience there, you've done some stuff with chickens, and you decided uh, uh, to move to, to pigs? What was the conversation or what was the catalyst to uh, to move to pigs?
2: this one is kind of an interesting story. My husband had always said that he wanted nothing to do with pigs because he had been exposed to people who kept pigs in confinement and they stank and he just didn't want anything to do with it. And I had been listening to podcasts and Darby Simpson and various other um, sources of information. And I thought, I kind of think we could do it differently. Um, But we weren't planning to get pigs last year. And then my very good friend called me one day and she said, hey, Marissa, I'm going to go pick up some little pigs from my cousin because he has runts, and I'm going to raise a couple in my shed, and um, and then she has like a paddock attached to her shed. Do you, do you want me to pick up some too? And I thought about it, and I'm like, um, um yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so it was admittedly a very impulsive decision. So my friend who has a truck, and I, I wasn't even available that day, she packs up her big dog crate, and she goes and gets six little pigs, and they're all runts. They're just little bitty. Brings them home, and while I order my fencing and charger and try to figure out desperately what in the world I'm going to do, she fortunately um, kept them all In her shed area, and kept them for me for about a week, week and a half, until we had our uh, our fencing and our shelter set up, so that we could take them.
1: Very good. Yeah, Uh, that sounds. So I'd
2: I'd love to say it was a responsible, well thought out. uh, But no, no, it was a spontaneous phone call on a Saturday morning from my
1: friend. That sounds all too familiar. We have a very similar story. An ad in the ad bulletin, and in a, a one hour drive, and I'm coming home with three pigs and and have absolutely zero infrastructure. So we had actually had to lock them in our garden fence uh, for a oh co- couple days until I could get uh, get some uh, fencing put up. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, so the last year of Raising Four, uh, is that just something you all finished out for your own consumption? Did you stick your toe in the water with retailing those last year?
2: Oh, uh, We did stick our feet in the water. We um, kept one pig for us, half a pig for my parents, and then we sold the other two-and-a-half pigs. Um, we, we're not licensed, USTA licensed in Wisconsin as of yet to just sell retail cuts. So we do um, live on the hoof with a custom butcher. Um, so we had um, several different customers and sold a total, really, of two-and-a-half. And, um, and then we just went from there.
1: Hmm. Okay. So in Wisconsin, for you for you to be able to sell uh, individual cuts, you have to be licensed, or you just have to use a USDA processor.
2: Both. You uh-huh. have to use a USDA processor, which we're fortunate to have them in the area. But a lot of them are booked solid and hard to get into. Hmm. And then you also have to have a um, a retail license for wherever you store everything hmm. okay. and essentially have a, a setup. So that you can be certified to sell out of your home, and that is a goal of ours, but we're not there yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have something similar to that in West Virginia, where you, you, your your processor is really the the, the heavy lifting there, taking it to a USDA processor, and then having uh, having just a basically a meat home reseller license here uh, for your house, and they do a, a basic inspection of your your freezer setup and storage. Okay, well, um, so. Uh, from what you've seen in the in the two years now, I assume with your your twelve that you have uh, the success you had with the four, uh, so you get the opportunity to get twelve uh, this year. Um, how has it been? I assume this time of year you're you're are you close to taking those to the processor?
2: They've already gone, oh, okay. and uh, we really enjoyed it. But boy, is it a relief to have them done. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah, a little bit of a break now. <laughs> so. Uh, um, so those twelve, I assume, similar situation. You kept one or two back for yourself, some for family, and you're able to sell all the other ones.
2: Exactly. All right. Okay.
1: Very good. So, um, well, how do you how do you manage with um, with your with your chickens, with your pigs, and and what you've got going on? Are are, are you a full time farmer, or, or both? Do you, both of you have all farm income?
2: off-farm incomes I'm a registered nurse and I work four days a week and up until a month ago I was commuting an hour and 15 minutes each way Um, but fortunately I recently found a more local position and my husband is a diesel mechanic and he works five or six days a week Hmm. so we're just tired a lot
1: yeah yeah that's that's an interesting juggle it makes for makes for long weeks at times
2: (laughs) there are times like what what have we done Hmm.
1: yep so, how do you um, how do you have your pasture set up right now? Are you are you doing a rotational process? Do you just have them on wide open? And what's what type of infrastructure do you have in place?
2: We get um, we have the portable electric netting, the um, the pig quick fence from Premier One, and then a solar rechargeable battery charger. And we do rotations. So, um, you know, we just have the four different sides. And then when they're ready to move, we set up three more sides, move them from paddock to paddock, and then move the water and the shelter in the process.
1: Okay. So looking ahead, uh, the successes that you've had in the last two years, what does uh, 2020 look like as far as the number of pigs you're going to have?
2: I haven't really decided yet. I... I need to investigate a lot more about the whole process of um, getting an inspection and becoming uh, licensed to sell retail meat. And then I have a lead on a small USDA um, inspected butcher who is who has room um, because some of the bigger ones, if you're not established with them, you'll never really be able to get your animals in because they're so booked solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but a relatively new person recently opened up, and so I'll be contacting them. What I'd like to do, because we're so very happy with our custom butcher, and our customers who have bought on the hoof are happy with that, we would like to do the same number of pigs, 12, as far as doing live on the hoof and working with the custom butcher. But then we're also interested in adding more pigs and starting to do retail. And I haven't really decided how many we want to do and how that's going to look.
1: Okay. So I was looking on your website. It, it looks like with your, excuse me, with your sales and your processing that you, are, you all are offering your holes and halves at flat rate pricing. Is that correct? We are. How's that worked out so far?
2: Really well. Our customers have been very happy with it. And admittedly, part of it was simply that I didn't know how much they were going to weigh. And I'm not an experienced enough farmer to really be able to estimate that. And so um, I was kind of nervous about telling people, you know, they want to know, okay, if I buy a whole hog, about how much is this going to cost me? And I really had no way of telling them. So I decided to just do a flat fee. And my logic is, okay, market weight is generally 220 to 250. So If I end up with any hogs that are less than 220, I will offer either a reimbursement or, you know, hey, you can make up the weight in chicken. Um, So I did have that happen with one of the hogs. Um, It came out as 180 live weight, which I admit surprised me. I thought they were bigger. And so I actually just sent an email yesterday to the customer saying, hey, this is what happened. Your hog was smaller than i anticipated and i'd like to make it up to you which you you know which way would you prefer i haven't heard back yet so we'll see what happens
1: interesting so does that include your processing fees as well
2: it does not they pay the butcher separately
1: okay okay good um have you been able to do a cost analysis of that is that working out to uh, for you profit uh, profit wise
2: I don't have a solid one yet um, because I'm still woefully behind in my numbers. Um, but it did. But last year we did come out ahead. I mean, not with the infrastructure mm-hmm. because we had so much to invest last year. Um, but, but we were at least as, on the right track.
1: But as far as direct inputs, your your feed and and water and any other expenses you had directly per pig, that uh, that seemed to shake
2: out well for you. And in the long run, we don't anticipate that we're going to increase our custom on the hoof program much further. I kind of want it as a foundation for, you know, there are just customers who really want that and I want that to be available. But when we look at long-term profitability, that's one of the reasons that we want to move toward USDA processing and a retail license and being able to sell individual cuts because the profit margin is going to be higher.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I've done both uh, multiple years of of uh, holes and halves, and then individual cuts. And I agree. And of course, it also comes back to cash flow as well. You can you can really uh, flow that cash when you when you have a bulk uh, hole and in, in half sales at one point. Uh, everyone goes to the processor. You're getting your payouts. Uh, so that's a nice uh, windfall of cash the cuts you've got better markup on but then you have to absorb uh, a good bit of those processing fees so then the cash kinda turns around you, you turn around and give all that cash to the processor and then you wait for your cut sales to come in so um, I agree I, I think there's better profit margin there but I, I like your approach to to a balance of having a foundation of holes and halves and allowing the cuts be the uh, proverbial gravy if you will okay well um, Let's uh let's talk about your um let's talk about since we're talking about inputs what about your your feed how are you addressing uh feed for the pigs are you going conventional non-GMO uh something something unique there
2: Nothing unique we do conventional feed we true, do try very hard to get locally produced feed and by local I don't mean you know within the county but Wisconsin of course is pretty agricultural so the two feed mills that we purchase from use primarily grains that are Wisconsin, Minnesota grown. Mm, okay. And ultimately, any form of organic or non-GMO, any specialty stuff is, is not extremely available to us and would drive our prices up so much that I think that we would outpace the ability of our potential customers to pay. Mm. And to be honest, local is more of a priority for us than anything specialty like non-gmo or organic so there are
1: yeah i'm sorry go ahead
2: oh
0: sorry there um, there
2: is one feed mill in town that we get more uh, like they grind their own and um we get that in 100 pound bags long term we'd like to get bulk feed deliveries we don't have the setup yet but that's next and then there's also a a small family-owned feed store that gets in 50 pound bags from a slightly further away feed mill that has a slightly different grind. And honestly, a lot of the times where we pick up our feed depends on who's picking it up. Um, If my husband is taking the truck and going to town, he'll go to the feed mill and get the 100-pound bags. um, I can barely lift them. So I'm more of the 50-pound bag store. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah that's funny. I, I go with 100 pounds because I'm cheap, but I usually make my 17-year-old <laughs> yes, unload them. So. <laughs> yeah, that's,
2: that's totally totally our logic there. It's like my husband will save a dollar, and I'm like, nope, can't do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, have you noticed with your customers, does the uh, buying local resonate with them more than, than, say, a non-GMO or an organic? Or does that the discussion really come up right now?
2: The local seems to resonate more. I've had several people, and this is applicable to both our chickens and our pigs, ask if we're organic, and I explain that we're not. We do conventional, as local as we can, and then I explain about pasture-raised. And they. I've never had anybody not want to buy from us once I gave them that answer. I think of a lot of people think organic, and they picture a farm like ours. Right. And then when they find out what that actually means, and and they see pictures or they come to the farm and see how we're raising our animals that's really what they want and whether or not it's organic falls by the wayside
1: yeah that's uh, that's a good point i, I think there's uh, an opportunity to educate your customer base and be able to uh, just have those discussions i hear the terms all the time people say well we're beyond organic we're not going to go through all the certification issues uh... but we uh, we we do everything organic other than supply the uh, specific organic feed but but that's a really good point is just looking at your customer base and saying uh, which is more important uh, you have know, the lower cost uh, local local purchase or the uh, higher cost non-gmo or organic if it's even available in your area
2: yeah we've been we've been really happy with the response that we've gotten.
1: All right very good. So, um, so uh, getting back to the point where you all are both all farm most of the time, what uh, do do you feed uh, free choice, or do you have uh, pretty hectic daily uh, chores for your pigs when they're on uh, on their own farm?
2: Fairly hectic daily chores. We have been soaking our feed for a day ahead hmm. of time, and so a lot of times um, we will you know soak the feed in buckets uh the night before and then the next morning one of us whoever's available will carry them out you know to the field and feed the pigs we're um it's usually a set amount but of course that set amount changes um throughout the year and we just kind of estimate um if the pigs just seem more hungry then we feed them more Hmm. and um it's It's worked, I think. I'm I'm sure there's a more sophisticated way of calculating it, but that's what we've done. The the soaking, they just really seem to like it, and I've definitely noticed that it decreases their water consumption. Mm -hmm. So we figure, well, we have to carry stuff out to the field anyway. We don't have an irrigation system. We don't have a gator. We don't have a lot of stuff. So we're hand-carrying out everything in five-gallon buckets. And we can either carry water, which spills, or we can just do soaked feed, which um, at least doesn't splash out. And it's a lot of work either way, but we just make it work.
1: Okay. So uh, so with soaking the feed, obviously that, that provides a lot of, uh, requires a lot of handwork, as you mentioned there. Are you weighing your ration before you soak it, or are you just using like uh, gradients on your bucket to say, okay, this this many buckets for this many pigs type of thing?
2: Really gradients with the buckets, and of course, since we're using fifty or hundred pound bags, we'll have a rough idea of how many pounds we're setting out there. So then we just, you know, mix it with water based on the pounds of the feed.
1: Hmm. Okay. So uh, how many months? Uh, what's your what's your grow out cycle? Are you going six months, seven months longer, or
2: about six months?
1: Six months. Okay. And you had that. And set.
2: a lot of that also depends on when we can get them to the butcher.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. And I assume uh, in the last two years, obviously, you haven't overwintered there in Wisconsin. You're you're definitely looking at a spring to summer rotation. Correct. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, um, so uh, looking at, um, kind of go back to, to breeds. I, I know we talked about that briefly, kind of getting whatever you could get your hands on. And in the research that you've done over the past two years and, and experiences, um, do you see yourself settling on a certain breed? Do you see yourself bringing breeders in, or do you think you'll always be a wean-to-finish operation?
2: I would love to be a breeding operation eventually. I don't know that that's going to happen until we're big enough so that one of us can be a full-time farmer. Um, I'm. I have a little bit of a crush on the Gloucester Old Spots, hmm. and I, I don't know if that would be a perfect fit. And my philosophy is just to try a few things out before committing instead of, you know, jumping in whole hogs, so to speak, and then regretting our choice. So there's certainly breeds that I'm interested in, but um, we'll kind of, you know, test it out once we get there and see what works best for our farm. We do have a lot of apple trees, and I'm really a big believer in using lard in cooking, So I love the idea of a more old-fashioned lard pig. But, again, we'll see what's a better fit for our farm and for our market long term.
1: Yeah, that that sounds like a lot of good apple pies in your future there.
2: (laughs) Yes, and
1: tis the season. (laughs) Indeed. Okay, well, um, one thing I was looking at on your website was uh, additional opportunities for on on farm income, and and I know we we, we focus specifically on pastured pigs, but something that um, you know, the marketing guy in me keeps harping about uh, diversifying income on these uh, on your farm operations. So you all have an on on farm store, and then uh, you're also doing farm tours. Is that something you're just starting, or is that something you've had for a while?
2: This- Upcoming farm tour is going to be the very first one. Mm. And I should also probably qualify my farm store is really my front porch. Okay. Um, okay. There's, farm store might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I, I call it a store. And um, and then it's just not very not open very often. Um, But then so, of course, you know, that's another thing to work on expanding. And now that I'm not spending two and a half hours driving every day, I have a lot more time to start figuring this stuff out. Mm -hmm. That transition happened so recently that I'm still really in the phase of, okay, how is this all going to look and how are we going to make this transition now that I have a lot more time? But on October 5th, we are offering our first farm tour i'm pretty excited about this and we're just going to have people come on the farm and look around and we'll we'll mark out some walking paths so they can travel out to the back 40 and look around if they like because we have just have some beautiful areas we're also parking um partnering with my friend she's a dairy farmer just a few miles away um, she and her husband have a very small herd dairy and they do rotational grazing with their dairy cows she's also a photographer So one of the appeals for our farm tour is that she's going to be here offering mini family photo sessions to kind of get people in the door. And, you know, we have this beautiful place and there are all these great places to take family photo pictures like for Christmas. Mm. So this is the first. We definitely want to continue doing farm tours and we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and that's you know, that's one of those opportunities to value add. Now, again, since it's your friend with the photography business, maybe you're not getting a cut from her. But, but as other people that are listening to this can think about opportunities to value add your farming experience. Um, so, backing up to say, well, it sounds like your potential customer base. The where your farm is located, it it makes sense for them to be able to drive out uh, to your farm store when it's open, and even if it's your front porch, that's a start. Uh, but it's uh, geographically located that people it makes sense for people to drive out, and of course, the agritourism side of that, opening up for tours for the photo shoots, uh, just taking advantage of what you have there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, we're certainly
2: hoping to. I'm sorry. Oh, I said we're certainly hoping to, um, because so many people are interested, and and we often forget how amazing it is because, of course, we're busy and we don't really have free time and we're here all the time, and I forget what it's like to live in a city and to not have that easily accessible.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, we definitely uh, take things for granted at times. Well, okay, well, um, looking ahead, uh, Marissa, what do you think is is in the future? Maybe short-term goals, long-term goals? I know we've talked about uh, getting some GOS on there for, for breeding, Are there any other areas you want to expand or grow the farm?
2: Um, That's about it for pigs. We want to keep our chickens right around where they are. We find that we like raising chickens and we like offering them to customers, um, but they're very labor-intensive, so we're not wanting to scale up. We are planning to expand into home delivery. We Mm -hmm. are fairly rural, so we have customers in our immediate area. Uh, five miles away is a town of just over 2,000. And then one of the bigger cities um, that we we get a lot of customers from is Eau Claire. It's about 60,000 people. That's an hour drive. And people from Eau Claire are certainly interested in coming out for a farm tour or an occasional stop. But driving a whole hour um, on a regular basis to pick up chicken or pork or beef when we add that it's not something that they're usually going to do regularly. So we're looking to add occasional deliveries, um, maybe a drop-off point in Eau Claire, and um, maybe do, I don't know, once a week, once every two weeks, I haven't really decided yet, um, to kind of offer that as, as a, an idea of what our, I'm sorry, I kind of stumble over my words, I'm admittedly nervous. Um, But following the idea of what problem are you solving for your customer Mm -hmm. and what I'm kind of developing and wanting to do with my newsletter and eventually a YouTube site is helping you get dinner on the table. I'm a really good cook and I'm looking to kind of develop classes, a YouTube channel based on farmed table cooking that's relatively easy. You know, everybody's busy and they have a lot of other things on their mind, but they Still want to get dinner on the table and have that food be nourishing and local and know where it comes from. So by showing people how to cook and delivering it right to them, that is my goal for helping people solve that problem.
1: Very good, very good. Spoken like a good marketing person. No, that's that's great to, to be looking at looking at those details and seeing. Yeah, you, know, you it's. Um, you know, a successful business is identifying a problem and coming up with a solution for it and then making that solution accessible to as many people as possible. So I love that idea and, and utilizing uh, your, your resources. You know, 60,000 uh, population uh, city within an hour away. Uh, it makes sense to incorporate uh, drop spots and, and uh, delivery, those elements. So, yeah, that's that sounds like it's a good plan. Now, you also had mentioned on your website the um, opportunity of adding beef. Is that something that you guys have in the near future?
2: Yes. Um, We're hoping either next year or the year after to get started. Um, My stepdad and quite a few neighbors around have more experience with raising beef than I do. Uh, The whole time I lived on the farm growing up, it was all dairy cattle. So I remember but I was only 16 when we stopped farming. So there's a lot that I don't remember. Uh, We do need to add more infrastructure. Most of the fencing is very old and broken down and needs to be replaced. Mm -hmm. But within the next couple of years, we do want to at least start having some beef stockers and raising them, and then long-term having more of a cow-calf operation.
1: Very good. Awesome. Yeah, that that sounds like um, an opportunity to really take advantage of that uh, extra property you have access to.
2: Very much so. Um, We have the 80 acres, and then the whole farm was originally 160. My brother bought the um, south half of the farm, so he has 80, I have 80 and long term as we expand there's also the potential for leasing grazing land from him Mm. so we have our 80 that we can expand and use and then there are more options if we ever get big enough that we can expand that operation and then circling around there are this used to be a very dairy heavy community and of course with a combination of wisconsin laws and dropping dairy prices So many of them have gone out of business. They've just been annihilated. Mm. And there's a lot of land that is unused, and some of it is cropped, but then, of course, some isn't even good cropping land. So there are potential areas where if we expand significantly, you know, in my wildest dreams, we have a lot of opportunity for leasing land. And as a general rule, so many people in this area really feel the loss of that dairy farming culture and they're pretty happy about people who are trying to start up again.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see where that would resonate with the community that's uh, that's used to seeing a lot of farming activity. Very good. Well, um, Marissa, one thing I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and you may be familiar with this question I'm about to throw at you there, what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture?
2: I just love being outside with my critters. It's just peaceful and calming and... I love the fact that we are letting pigs be pigs. And I, I just, I like being around them. They have little personalities. Um, I, I really like scratching their noses and their ears. There's just something about the texture. <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> They're just really great little animals. Um, but I love seeing them interact with each other in a natural environment and watching them run around through the grass and just be pigs.
1: They are a very entertaining animals, aren't they?
2: They are.
1: Yeah, well, great. Yeah, that's. I think that's kind of the ongoing theme with, with almost everyone we talk to about uh, having pigs on pasture. It really is the interaction you have with the animals, the outside time, and just uh, just enjoying a, an incredible animal. It it really is a, a joy to raise them, and I've I've been blessed to to be able to do it for uh, over seven years now. And each each year, it seems like there's just something new you learn and, and, and enjoy from them.
2: Yeah, it's pretty great, and there definitely is that constant learning curve.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yes, we're always learning. So um, if if people want to find out more about your farm, uh, where can they find information on the Internet?
2: Our website is springhillheritage.farm. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Both of those are Spring Hill Heritage Farm. I have a very, very limited YouTube cha- YouTube channel of the same name. Um, there's not much on it there, but more to come. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of plans. Very good. Uh, that's the, oh, I think I'm on MeWe, um, but I haven't done much there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us have, have stuck, have put our toe in the water with MeWe, but I you know, haven't yet seen it uh, come. It's kind of our safety net for when Facebook shuts us all down. So Exactly. Right. Well, okay. Well, Marissa, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us this evening, and I pray you have a wonderful evening.
2: Well, thank you so much. You as well.
1: All right. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Marissa coming on the podcast. Again, I appreciate everyone that comes on. If you would like to have us be more topic specific, I know uh, earlier this year I polled some people about uh, what they would like us to talk about uh, beyond uh, getting to know these farmers uh, across the country. Just go to com and click on the Pastured Pig podcast link. Use that contact form and let me know if there's specific topics You'd like to hear us talk about. I'm, I'm working on one that would be a solo uh, podcast. I, you know, I don't think that's as dynamic, uh, but it would just be me talking about um, some of the marketing elements associated with uh, your farm and, and selling your pastured pig uh, products and those type of things. So uh, taking from my uh, 20 years of experience in, in marketing with my business, um, how we've applied that to ourselves and of course it helped uh, other, other people apply those same uh, Practices to their operations. So uh, look for that in the future. I'm um, not exactly sure when I'm going to get all that polished up uh, But those uh, those are some topic specific type podcasts we will be working on so feel free to comment on uh, again using the, um, the, the Website link if you feel that that's pertinent and would like to hear those type of things well uh, appreciate again everyone listening uh, be sure to give us a uh, Review if you haven't and give us a rating if you like us Uh, I guess give us a rating if you don't like us. Uh, But we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. I hope everyone has a great week out in the pasture. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.